We are glad you're with us on this Sunday morning. I'm Mike Colombo and this is Postscripts. Each week on the show, we discuss news and politics with our news partners at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. With me in studio is Christopher Ave. He is the national and political editor at The Post. And joining us from the nation's capital is Washington Bureau Chief Chuck Roche. This week, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh spent three days in front of senators on the Judiciary Committee. He wouldn't comment on a variety of issues like gay marriage or if he would recuse himself should cases related to the Mueller investigation come before the Supreme Court. One of the most notable exchanges came during an exchange with Democratic California Senator Kamala Harris. Take a listen. Yes or no, have you ever been part of a conversation with lawyers at the firm of Kasowitz Benson Torres about special counsel Mueller or his investigation. And I asked, were you ever part of a conversation? I'm not asking you, what did you say? Right. I'm asking you, were you a party to a conversation that occurred regarding special counsel Mueller's investigation? And a simple yes or no would suffice. About his investigation. And are you referring to a specific person? I'm referring to a specific subject, and the specific person I'm referring to is you. Now, the, who was the conversation with? You said you had information. That is not the subject of the question, sir. The okay. subject of the question well, the, is you and whether you were part of a conversation regarding answer, special counsel Mueller's investigation. The answer is no. All right, Chuck. So that is something that got a lot of attention this week. What has stood out to you so far during this nomination process? Well, it's what stood out is a, is a couple of things. One is it's all kabuki theater. Um, Unless there's some major change or major revelation or whatever, uh, this nominee is going to be confirmed in a very close vote. I think there are several other aspects that, are, that were going on here. As we all know, Kamala Harris is thinking about running for president, so you had that overlaying this. Um, but it just really drove home this point to me, and that is, is that in these highly partisan times, when people say almost everything, um, anytime, uh, accusing each other of this and this and that on social media and in our public discourse now, these hearings have become almost um, unwatchable in the sense of what they reveal to these nominees. They are so cautious about what they talk about and what they say that basically all we talk about are coaching basketball and sort of uh, and then highfalutin kind of arguments about what uh, you know Hamilton meant in 1787. We really don't get down to the grist of what everybody in the room wants to talk about because it's become such a political exercise. I want to talk about that with you, Christopher, because I've been thinking the same thing for a long time now. You see these hearings all the time. It reminds me of The Godfather when Michael Corleone is before the, the Senate hearing. <laughs> right. And it's just like you wonder if anything really does come of this or if it's just political theater at its finest. Well, I mean, they, they call it a circus. In, in this case, actually it is. I mean, it, it, it's so much for the cameras. Chuck's exactly right. I mean, you have some would-be presidential contenders on the Democratic side who are really playing to their base, and their base are people who want to stop any Republican from being on the Supreme Court. I mean, of all the things that Trump has done and said that have been controversial, nominating Justice Kav uh, Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court is not one of them. This is a very mainstream Republican thing to do, and the Democrats are trying their best to trip him up, or tried their best this past week to trip him up. Um, and I don't think he tripped. I think that they failed in those attempts, and I agree with Chuck. It, it looks as if this nomination is going 
Yeah, to that point, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh did a pretty good job of avoiding stepping in any partisan potholes, particularly on the issues of abortion and the possibility of indicting a sitting president. Chuck, explain why these two issues have gotten so much attention. Well, on the second point, on indicting a sitting president, it's, it's a very real question right now uh, about whether or not, uh, you know, this president will, you know, be, be involved in a constitutional crisis after the Mueller investigation report comes out and after if there are any other indictments or anything else that could come closer to the White House. So you've got that looming. And then on the other, on the other hand, um, I think you have recognition on both sides that... Um, Mr. Kavanaugh could be likely, likely be the determining vote in where this court goes with uh, likely challenges to Roe v. Wade down the future. I just had lunch with a friend of mine who's, um, you know, who uh, is a former Republican who, you know, has become an independent, and he said one of the reasons why he's gone to that direction is because both parties have become so extreme on that issue that there doesn't seem to be any middle ground, and he fears that this court now with uh, Kavanaugh coming in is going to be not a middle ground court on that particular issue. And as you both alluded to, it appears Republicans have enough votes to uh, push through Mr. Kavanaugh, but we will continue to follow that here over the next several right. weeks. So another attention that got a lot of news last week was the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times that served up a scathing indictment of President Trump written by a current senior administration official. On Friday, the president said that the Justice Department should investigate the identity of its author, citing national security concerns. Chuck, how has this op-ed reverberated through Washington? I think we have two conversations going on on this in the country right now. And one of them, uh, in Washington here, there's, there's a lot of it has been sort of who did it um, and a lot of parlor games being played on that front. And, you know, it's sort of part of the daily kind of grind here in this town about all the intrigue and everything that's, that surrounds this presidency. Um, and I think out in the country, I think, I think, frankly, it's being viewed as just another episode of what uh, a lot of people ended up voting for the president for. Now, you can believe or not believe uh, what, what was in that op-ed, uh, but I think a large, that largely depends upon what you believed about this president before it came out. There's sort of two schools of thought here in this town. One is uh, that this person was a hero uh, and was trying to reassure the country. Uh, and then there's another one taken by President Trump and others, which, you know, a, an argument that I think has merit, and that is, is that, you know, the person is a coward. If, if you've got these strong feelings, come forward with your name. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's gone back into this, this, this partisan trough um, on both sides that, you know, I doubt any, any, any minds were changed on it. It just deepens the intensity of the partisanship down to the point now where on Friday the president was talking about sicking his uh, Justice Department on the New York Times and, and going out and prosecuting this person um, who uh, wrote this piece. All right, we're going to pause our discussion there for now. Still to come on post strips, Postscripts. We're going to continue speaking with Chuck about what was a very eventful week in the nation's capital. That included a Missouri lawmaker going viral after displaying the talent used for his side hustle during a House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing. We'll be right back. Or you'll be asked to leave. Welcome back to Postscripts. The anonymous op-ed we talked about in the first segment was published on Wednesday. The day prior, another scathing portrayal of the White House was released when copies of longtime Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward's book, Fear, Trump in the White House, was leaked to reporters. Mr. Woodward conducted most of his interviews on deep background, meaning he could incorporate the material without citing sources. 
It was described by the New York Times as portraying a White House with relentless infighting and a work culture so toxic and volatile that many of President Trump's top advisors and cabinet members became accustomed to working around their boss, whom they described as unstable and uninformed. President Trump said it's just another bad book. He, referring to Woodward, had a lot of credibility problems. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders called it nothing more than fabricated stories. Chuck, from what you know about the book, what revelations stand out to you? Well, there have been whispers about this for many, many months, and some Republican senators came out uh, after, the, after the excerpts came out and kind of alluded to that. Uh, Senator McCaskill told me herself that Republican senators have hinted at this type of stuff uh, when they run across it, although she said in her um, interactions with President Trump she's never seen any of this stuff before. But, um, you know, I, I, I think there, there are two, sort of two things going on with this thing. One is they're, you know, they're trying to attack uh, the author of the book, and I think of all people in media right now, uh, that's probably the last person you want to attack. Um, Bob Woodward, through the years, has been sort of an equal opportunity uh, analyst, and and is, and really digs deep into a lot of this stuff. And knowing him and knowing how he works, um, I just think that he, you know, he if it's in the book, he's got somebody saying it on tape at some some point, and so I think you've got to go from that. Um, on the other thing, on the other hand, though, I honestly think that it was sort of the that book and the reaction to the book and all the machinations around it uh, by the so-called political class here in D.C. is part of the swamp that Trump said he was going to try, come and try to drain. And so you've got people out there saying, "Look, this is a, this plus the, the the anonymous piece that was in the New York Times the next day is an example of the very deep, quote unquote, deep state that the president talks about that's out to get him." Um, I, you know, I have no knowledge of a deep state, but that's certainly out there, uh, you know, in the, in the you know, ionosphere of people talking about it, that this is just more people coming out and trying to get the president. And that asks or leads to my thoughts for you, Christopher. It does seem to, at least on the surface, lend credence to that idea that where there's smoke, there's fire as it relates to issues within the Trump administration. I think both ways. I think that this book in many ways reinforces and confirms some of the things that Chuck mentioned we and others have been hearing about uh, the president and his inner circle in that he is emotional, he is non-traditional in his responses, he uses blue language, a lot of blue language, a lot of presidents have uh, through the years. Um, uh, but some of the revelations that are in the book that seem most shocking are the things that his aides actually do. They, this book says that, that the aides were constantly trying to divert him from his worst impulses similar to that uh, that op-ed, the anonymous op-ed allegedly written by a member of Trump's team. So, you know, you, you, you do have what some people would call a deep state. And yes, there are people who have sent, spent their careers in Washington, in public service, whether you believe that's the evil deep state or whether you believe that's principled, you know, insiders. Uh, it depends on uh, where you stand, actually. But I do think that this is a disturbing portrait of uh, uh, an administration, if, if, if Woodward is to be believed, and there's a lot of reason to believe him, that an administration in disarray. Let's change gears here and talk about something else that occurred in Washington this week. While Google was noticeably absent, top leaders from Facebook and Twitter were on Capitol Hill, where they faced a barrage of tough questions from senators on what the social media giants are doing to protect the integrity of U.S. elections. One of the things that came out of that hearing was something that involved a Missouri lawmaker 
silencing a heckler. Take a listen. Recognizes the order. We'll have order in the hearing room or you'll be asked to leave. You'll, ma'am, if you'll please take a seat or we'll have to have you, then you'll need to relieve. Please help us, Mr. President, before it is too late, because Jack Dorsey is trying to influence the election, huh? to sway the election. What's she so saying? I can't Democrats understand her. What? The election. That is why What's she? Censoring and shadow banning. I don't know how many it in. 12 and a half, 15, 7 and a half, 20 dollar, 2 and a half, 5 and a half, 30. Hit 30 dollar down here, 2 and a half, 5, 7 and a half, 40. Hit 40 dollar, 2 and a half, 5, 5, 45, 7 and a half, 50. Hit 50 dollar down here, 2 and a half, 5, Officer, will you escort this young lady out, please? Hit 2 and a half, now 5, 55, 7 and a half, 70. Up to it, I have now five, seven, five, seven, half, eighty dollar to five, eighty five, ninety. Eight hundred dollar, and a ten, 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 a quarter, one, a quarter, one, half, and a five, two, 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 and a quarter. It, two, and a half, and a five, three, equal to bomb, three hundred. It, three, and a quarter. Cut, three, and a quarter, now, half, half, three, and a half, and a five, four hundred. Yeah, but a four, four and a quarter, four and a half. We're selling the cell phone there, four and a quarter, four and a half. Well, who you heard from there is longtime Republican Representative Billy Long of Missouri. Chuck, you wrote about this incident last week with an interesting observation about the optics of a member of Congress often accused of selling access for campaign cash, shouting out dollar amounts in rising bid order. Tell us more. Well, I, I, it's just it's one of these things that you say only in America in 2018. I mean, a lot of people, if you put that in a time capsule 50 years down the road, people are going to wonder what the heck this was all about at this time. It just it just seems such a, like a, such a strange thing. But if you looked at it in the context of everything else that's going on in this town these days, simultaneously to that, there were women dressed up as you know, 17th, 18th century handmaids uh, you know, uh, showing up at the Kavanaugh hearings. There, were, you know, there was all this stuff that we talked about pre, in the previous segment about what was going on with the president and this remarkable, frankly, remarkable situation where uh, members of his cabinet allegedly were talking about invoking the 25th Amendment to remove him from office. So, you know, it, it, in normal times, that, would be an, that, that wouldn't have been an abnormal event. My point in my column was, it, it seemed like normality uh, at, in that moment. You know, that, that, that type of thing, you know, the, an auction goes on in rural Missouri probably every day. And it, 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 it almost was the one normal thing that you could say about America in that moment because everything else around, you know, going on around it has been so abnormal lately. So I also point out in the column that they're, they're, this basically is not a new norm. I don't think you can call that what's going on in Washington new norm. Basically what's going on in Washington is that there are no norms any longer. I have to agree with you on that, Chuck. We thank you for your time on this Sunday morning as always. Still to come here on Postscripts, the abrupt cancellation of the Lufest Music Festival grabbing headlines last week. Ahead, we'll chat with Post-Dispatch Post music critic Kevin Johnson about the fallout and how some good came from a bad situation. Welcome back to Postscripts. I am joined by St. Louis Post-Dispatch music critic Kevin Johnson. He is here this morning to talk about the big entertainment news that also became big economic news and that was the abrupt canceling of the Lou Fest Music Festival. Kevin, my first question, did do you see any red flags coming? You know, I'm gonna be honest, I wanna say I did see a red flag in the, in the beginning when the lineup was first announced back in, the, uh, back in June. It came about five or six weeks later than when we're used to seeing the Lou Fest lineup get announced. And everything after that just seemed to come 
extremely late. And I thought that was kind of odd. You know, I didn't know how odd it was really. I didn't know the extent to which things weren't coming together, but apparently behind the scenes, they weren't coming together as, as, we, as we learned. So what this did was set off a huge mm -hmm. spiral that left a lot of vendors, uh, a lot of music fans, mm -hmm. and the musicians themselves mm -hmm. wondering what was going to happen. Now, some really cool things did happen. Really did. Tell us what happened in light of the bad well, news. The biggest one, Robert Plant, who was the headliner scheduled to perform tonight at Lufas, his show actually got rerouted to the pageant. Now, of course, those people who had Lufas tickets, they have to repurchase tickets because the, the, the pageant event and the Lufas event aren't connected. So they do have, so those, those Lufas tickets are not valid. But, that, but the fact that Robert Plant still agreed to be here in town and do this show at the pageant tonight is incredible. And there's another one, the Head and the Heart. They were headlining one of the stages as well. They will be performing tonight on the um, at Delmar Hall at the same time that Robert Plant is performing. So those are two great looks and two great things that happened as a result of this uh, cancellation. And a, a little bit of good luck is involved with the bad luck here, and that's that venues such as Delmar Hall mm -hmm. and the pageant just so happened to be open yeah. on this night. Well, you know what? After the cancellation, I actually went to their websites and I checked to see what was happening. And these, the, the nights were free. They were open, which is kind of surprising. I don't know if they didn't book them because of Lufest or just if it just worked out that way. Who knows? Also noticed that uh, Stiefel was, was open. So I, I know there was some talk about a show or two going to there, which apparently hasn't happened. But um, I know they were looking at that. This is really an unfortunate thing to happen for the music scene in St. Louis is. and the region, for that matter. Um, what is the potential for something of this magnitude to exist in this city again in the future? You know, I'm really nervous about if Lufest is going to come back. Um, I don't personally feel like Lufest is going to come back. Can something like Lufest happen again? Sure. It would pay perhaps with different management, different people running it behind the scenes. But as far as Lufest itself, and I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but I feel like, I feel like it's done. I feel like it's done. Um, I do think that there'll be some lasting effect in terms of will bands, uh, it could affect how bands come to St. Louis and if they come to St. Louis. I think that's a real thing. You know, that's actually, people say Ferguson affected bands coming to St. Louis, believe it or not. So the Ferguson on top of this, I don't know what that's going to look like to a lot of outsiders, you know. Another question that I have, it kind of remains to be seen how vendors will be compensated for the losses that they're taking. We know that fans have been told they are going to be reimbursed mm -hmm. for their tickets over the next two weeks or so. Uh, I'm afraid that could take longer. We'll continue to some have gotten some, some have gotten their tickets already. That's let let me throw that in. I found out today some have already gotten an email saying they got their, they, they've already gotten their money back. Okay, so, well that's great. Yeah, that is great. Uh, I would like an explanation yeah. of how uh, the bands may be reimbursed. Yeah. I know it varies from act to act, but uh, that's been one interesting element because that, as you kind of alluded to, could play into if these acts it choose could. to come it back could. at some point. And a lot of that, I think, is going to determine on the arrangements and setups that the bands uh, agree to from the beginning. You know, that's, that's, that dives into their business contracts, which we don't have, which we aren't privy to, you know, but hopefully they'll, they'll get back what, they, what they're supposed to get. All right, very yeah. good. That's Kevin Johnson, longtime music critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, discussing what was some tough news, the cancellation Oof. of Lou Fest. We thank you for your time. Thank you. Postscripts will be right back.
Time now to see what's trending up, trending down, and a trend to look for in the week ahead. Christopher, tell us more. First, what's up? Well, Mike, up. Gun store burglaries. Another St. Louis County sporting goods store was hit last week, losing more than 20 firearms to burglars. The trend of such thefts continues to rise locally and nationally, and yet there are no federal safety requirements, security requirements for stores that sell guns, and many illegal guns are flowing onto the street. A disturbing trend, Mike. And what's trending down? NFL returned this past week with a Thursday night game between Philadelphia and Atlanta. That's been a rough offseason for the NFL, what with the controversy over players kneeling and the uh, continuing concerns over player safety. And you'd think a return to real football would help, but <laughs> this game was a dud, man. 25 penalties. 25! I mean, that's more than, than either team scored points. It's ridiculous. Uh, boring football may be the NFL's biggest threat and a trend to watch. Well, the dysfunction only deepened last week between St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office and the City Police Department. You may recall that the Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner decided she would ban 28 police officers from seeking criminal charges in the city without saying who was on the list. Now, this, this dispute made its way to court where a judge says the list must remain secret. Hard to see how such a fight can help public safety in the city. All right, Christopher, thank you, you and bet. thank you for joining us for Postscripts. We'll see you back here next week.